Welcome to the ITAD Talk Podcast with your host, Jeff Bittner. So I want to welcome Kyle Weens from iFixit to ITAD Talk this afternoon. And um, iFixit is in a unique business in this industry. So Kyle, um, how would you describe what the business does? Well, iFixit is kind of the, we're the enabler for the repair economy. We are a central knowledge platform. We're a community of people teaching each other how to fix things. We have instructions on how to fix everything from an iPhone to a lawnmower. Um, uh, we're probably the, the single most detailed, in-depth uh, repair resource on the internet. So, so now a question um, so that our listeners will know. Um, are all of these instructions free, and do you also sell like, um, like, to, like, like toolkits, for example? Yeah, all of our information is free, uh, and the, the goal is to have you know, repair knowledge be a common level playing field that everyone can build on top of. Uh, and then, yeah, we, we make money, we fund our work by selling parts and tools. So if you're looking at how to install the battery in an iPhone, we'll sell you a kit that includes the battery and the tools to do the repair. If you're a do-it-yourselfer, we also sell professional repair tools to ITAD folks, refurbishers, repair shops around the world. Okay. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself and then how you, how you started the uh, business? Sure. Yeah. My background, I'm actually a software guy. Uh, and we started iFixit while I was studying, uh, studying programming at an engineering university. And I was having trouble fixing my uh, Apple laptop. <laughs> and I, I was looking around for a service manual, uh, which I knew existed, but I couldn't find one. And so I managed to bumble my way through the repair. Uh, and, but afterwards, we were saying, you know, couldn't this have been easier? And it turned out that uh, Apple had sent uh, takedown notices to mm. the entire uh, everyone who was posting repair information online. Yeah. Wow. And so I said, well, what, let's let's reverse that. And so we started making our own repair manuals, put them online. And there's nothing they can do to stop that. So they're kind of replacing the information that they had taken offline. So the kind of repair that you had to do on that, it's probably not swapping out a part. Did you have to hand solder up like a part off the board and everything? Yeah, I, I just I dropped the computer onto the power plug. Oh wow! And so it's just a loose solder joint, hmm. uh, and if I if I wiggled it, it would it would charge. So I was like, okay, I just need to I need to resolder this. Um, so it was I I guess it was a void level repair, but it was a very very simple easy solder. It's a very large power plug. So were you using like a voltage meter? Is that how you I identified the short? No, I mean, you could just tell, and you could see the visible solder crack. So it was a it, really no diagnosis required. The hard part of it wasn't the soldering or the diagnosis. The hard part was just getting the computer open. Just mm -hmm. where do all the little tabs and latches, and it was just mechanically complex opening it up. And that's what we find a lot of folks. You know, you've never opened anything. The first time you open it up, it's challenging. Uh, and so that's, that's what I fix it guides are. We walk you step-by-step step through the whole process. Okay, and then so what time frame was that when you started the uh, business? Oh, gosh, this was back in 2003. So we've been doing this for, for a good while. Uh, and uh, we went from, you know, over uh, about five years, we became kind of a go-to resource for Apple products. And then ever since then, we've been working on everything else, uh, everything from PC, laptops, game consoles, you name it. So like when you were starting that, what was the workflow like? I mean, how, I mean, were you finding some manuals or you just had to like get the circuit board and like take all the components off or something? I mean, how, how was it you figured out how, how to do all that? 
I mean, the first time you take something apart, it's a puzzle. You're figuring it out. I've got a friend who's a car mechanic, and he says, hey, if I have a repair I need to do on a car door, maybe I have four car doors to work on. The first one I open up, I know I'm going to break something. <laughs> and then I know where the tabs and latches are. Mm. I do the others correctly, and then I buy the part to fix the one that I broke. And, and that's, that's kind of, we think of ourselves as the research and development team for everybody else. So we'll take it apart the first time. We'll make the mistakes so everybody else doesn't have to. So, so do you actually have a list of like the most common problems so that they would sort in order of what might go wrong with a certain product? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, the, the most common thing across anything with a battery is, is the battery. Batteries are wear item. They just, they wear out. Uh, so every smartphone needs new battery every two years. Uh, and that's not something that people think about. Um, but yeah, you can go to any given product device on iFixit and see what the top repairs are. Interesting. So I understand that many of your customers are small independent repair shops focused on cell phones, tablets, and laptops. That certainly is a big growth market, but do you plan to keep that focus or expand into other types of equipment and, and the components? Yeah, I mean, our goal is to be comprehensive across anything that you'd be repairing. So uh, you might not know this, but iFixit is the largest online resource for power tool schematics. Mm. So if you've got a chainsaw and you need to look up which spark plug uh, you need, iFixit is a great resource for that. Uh, we have auto service manuals, farm equipment, you name it. Um, but yeah, it's sort of our, our most comprehensive um, knowledge base is around, because it's around consumer electronics. So, so do you do you find that the people that do this does it take them a while? I guess, like you said, they kind of start with the first one, maybe break a few things, and they get better. But do you find there's a little bit of fear um, starting to, to try to fix their own things? Yeah, absolutely. When you're talking with consumers, uh, people are terrified of electronics. Uh, yeah, it's a magic box. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke likes to say, you know, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, and I think that's how people feel about the electronics in their lives. And, and so our goal is to demystify that. Uh, people ask us all the time, hey, you know, is this a repair that you think I could do? And we say, well, we don't know. Like, try it yourself. Like, go and look at the step-by-step -step guide. And if that's something that you feel like you could do, can you follow IKEA instructions? Then you can probably make it. Oh, yeah, which, is, which is really hard, too. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so what, what do you see as uh, the challenges in the data center equipment repair and components market? In the data center market, you don't have the mechanical complexity that we do with consumer electronics. So dismantling an iPhone is tricky. Um, uh, taking apart a you know, Dell Rack uh, server is not, generally. Um, so it has more to do with uh, availability of parts um, and, I would say, increasingly security updates and firmware. Okay. Very good. And so just to get, kind of give us an example, how many... Um, items do you have instructions for on your website? I mean, is it like, like 5,000 or? Uh, yeah, I think something on the order of 75,000 different products 75, uh, and more being added all the time. Yeah, I can't, I can't keep track. I, I've learned a long time ago, people would say, hey, do you have a repair manual for a typewriter? And I would say, no, of course not. And then I go and look at it. Turns out we do. So, uh, because it's a community, right? It's it's created by people all over the world. Oh, um, okay. I'm not, you, you know, you might know how to fix something that I don't know how to fix. And so you add that information to the central resource, just like Wikipedia, we're constantly getting better over time. So when other people are adding information like that, I mean, did you have any risk like, you know, because, you know, like uh, there's been like battery fires and things like that. So do you have to put some safety protocols in for, for things like batteries? 
Yeah, we do. We have we have information on that. We have a, a lag you know, warnings, and we've got kind of common safety tips and techniques for for working with batteries. Um, but overall, I mean, we have a really good safety track record. I mean, people are following directions. They want to do the right thing. Uh, and and we have a team that's reviewing instructions as they come in as well. Okay. And um, I wanted to ask you, you've been really passionate about the uh, right to repair issue, and that movement has been uh, successful um, pro, uh, promoting policy at the state and federal levels. Can you tell us uh, why this is such an important issue for you? Sure. Yeah, the idea behind right to repair is, hey, you bought it, you own it, you should be able to fix it. Uh, and uh, we, as as consumers, as business owners, should put up with artificial limitations uh, getting in the way of us being able to fix something. Uh, so we, I, I like to step back and take this from first principles. What are the what are the things that could get in the way of you being able to fix your thing? Well, uh, maybe special tools. Apple will have a, has a special screwdriver on the iPhone. Um, they, Oracle refuses to provide security updates for for Sun uh, servers. Mm. Um, those are the kinds of challenges that we run into, and so we've proposed policies that will uh, systematically fix that. Uh, and, and so the right to repair laws that have been proposed say, hey, if you're going to um, run a manufacturer service network, you need to make sure that there can be competition with your network. And the way that we enable competition is, is you have to make parts, tools, and information available. So uh, along with those policies to fix that, how is that moving along in Washington, I mean, is there a lot of pushback with the lobbyists and things like that from the from the, the manufacturers? Yeah, so we have been working on this for a while. I think, I mean, <laughs> I've been talking at this about this at conferences from the Electronics Reuse Conference, the ESCRAF, the uh, ISRI, all, all the, the different conferences, probably for a decade. Um, and, and yeah, we've, we've gotten pushback from manufacturers, but increasingly uh, we're seeing uh, sort of consensus that this is a common sense issue. And uh, so you've got uh, 27 different states so far this year have introduced legislation. Uh, the Biden administration has come out in support of it. The Federal Trade Commission is, is working on rules to enable competition in the repair market. So there's a lot of momentum. Uh, we haven't gotten anything done yet, though. So we have to be uh, – got to get this thing over the finish line. Well, but I think that we've taken this from an issue that was only impacting our industry and really made it a nationwide visible issue. So you mentioned that, like, 27 states. So if you get, like, one state – that pushes it through, then that would give you the ability to get the the software, the tools, or the licensing, and so on that, that could spread to the other states. Or it has yes, to. Yes, that's exactly right. Mm. Yeah, we don't have to win in every state, and I okay. think that's something that that we don't quite uh, uh, fully uh, understand in this industry because we're used to the electronics recycling laws, where that had to be passed in every state because there's a funding mechanism in every state. With right to repair, really, we only need it in one place, and then the, and at least access to software updates. And manuals will be available everywhere. So, which state is the the farthest uh, along in that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, we should get a, a betting pool going and see. I mean, twenty-seven <laughs> different options. I can tell you, this year uh, we passed in the Senate in both New York and Arkansas. Um, uh, one that was a Democratic uh, legislature, one was uh, Republican. Um, in general, it's a bipartisan issue, so those two states are looking good uh, for next year. Uh, but there's a lot of others kind of following hot behind. Okay. So, what do you think the next steps are in the right to re, in the right to repair movement? Then, yeah, I mean, we need to get one of these state bills over the finish line. <laughs> so, and we can definitely use help. Uh, so, if you're 
if you're interested at all, uh, you know, we, we need people uh, jumping on board, helping, talking to the legislators. Um, that all the state legislative season starts up again in January. Um, it's mostly over for the year. So it's, right now we're setting the groundwork and the stage for for getting all these bills um, uh, passed or some of them passed next year. Uh, and then we also are working on uh, federal bills, um, uh, both the broader right to parent also fixes the copyright law in Congress. Okay, that's uh, really good information. Um, so what would be your advice for an entrepreneur who wants to grow his tech repair business? And what are some of the pitfalls that he should avoid? Well, I think the first thing is just a good business. <laughs> I mean, invest in your employees, invest in your customers. I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I like focusing on the repair side of things. That's fun. Um, but you kind of have to nail the business fundamentals first and then fixing <laughs> things kind of comes second right. to that. Right. Um, and then I say, you know, look at look at all alternative markets. We found uh, folks fixing things. Uh, maybe you specialize in board level repair. Uh, found one repair shop who figured out that their city um, sewage department was using these cameras on a long reel, and there was basically a laptop at, at the end that would display display the output. And these machines were thousands of dollars, and they were breaking on them regularly. And he, so he would, you know, solder back together and charge them five hundred bucks every time he fixed it. And they were just thrilled. <laughs> and that ended up being a large part of his business. Same, we've seen uh, repair shops partnering with auto repair shops saying, hey, you know, you've got the infotainment unit that comes out. Can I help you do some repairs on those hmm. rather than having to, to trash them and buy a new OEM computer for $5,000? Oh, wow. Smart. So I think there are opportunities to use our skill sets in, in areas that have not been traditionally thought of as electronics repair. And then what about as far as some of the, the pitfalls? I guess you're going back to the uh, business uh, aspect and investing in your yeah. customers and employees. Yeah, you got to do fundamentals, right? you got to do well in marketing. I don't think I've seen repair shops engage enough with their local communities. Uh, join your chamber of commerce. Uh, go to local mixers and meetups. You know, every real estate agent and lawyer uh, and insurance agent in town is at those meetups, and all of them have electronics that they don't know how to repair. They'd all be great customers. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we all have uh, products uh, that we're having to throw out um, or recycle because they aren't functional. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the Framework laptops? Oh, this is so cool. Uh, so F Framework is a brand new company, and they said, hey, you know, every laptop that's come out in the last five, ten years has basically looked exactly the same. They're increasingly unrepairable and unupgradable. Why? That's dumb. Let's make a product that stands the test of time. Uh, and one of the cool things is the, the ports on it, instead of, you know, like you get two USB ports and that's it, it's got four interchangeable modules where you can s configure any ports that you want on it. Uh, it's super neat. So, um, so basically it's kind of like you're, you're just buying the uh, frame and you can keep re replacing the uh, parts on it? Yeah, yeah, just like, just like, you know, your modular PC. I've got the same uh, case for my PC. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've upgraded the processor. I've swapped out the main board. You could do that on a traditional PC. We haven't been able to do that with laptop form factor. Uh, now, you would think, based on my description of this, it's modular, it's upgradable, it must be massively thick. Uh, but, no, it's basically the same size and weight as a 13-inch as a MacBook Pro. So, now, would that give you the ability, ability to upgrade the uh, monitor on the laptop as well, the screen? Uh, I, in the future, I think that may be possible. Right now, I mean, they sell a replacement screen. 
Uh, I don't know if they sell a, a larger version of the screen, but that's something I would imagine that it would be cool for them to Well, that sounds like a really good uh, way to kind of move the industry forward and then to kind of also help with uh, not having to keep throwing stuff away. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great machine, really enthusiastic. We've bought a bunch of them for our staff at iFixit, and we're going to continue to be investing because we, we think it's a phenomenal, not just product, but the team, we've gotten to know the team behind Framework, and they're just really great people. So uh, another question that kind of goes along with this, what would you consider the underlying causes to the unsustainability of the electronics industry? Well, I think it's, it's just this, it's this mentality of disposability. It's, you know, the battery is glued in and it only lasts for two years. And so the perception is after two years, ah, there's a new phone anyway, I'll just, I'll just upgrade. Uh, and then you throw your old one in the drawer. Um, and that's, uh, that's bad for everybody. Um, so I think we got to find a way to convince consumers, hey, you know, one, it's okay to upgrade. It's okay to get a new machine. The, the, the worst thing in the world is for the old cell phone to be in a drawer. Like, if you want to get a new phone, fine, but make sure... I tell people, like, make sure you sell your phone and get as much money as you possibly can for it uh, so that we reduce the need to manufacture more products. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I recently cleared out our drawer at home, and I think we had four or five cell phones in there. Yeah, so. yeah, everybody does. And don't forget, the best way to support ITAD content is to rate and like the show on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you might listen. Listen.